And uh, we're going to go to Mark chapter 12 as our kids are making their way out. Parents, if you haven't checked them in yet, please again make sure you stop by the table and get them checked in before they go to their classes. And then remember to use that sticker to pick them up after the service today. And if you're using one of the Bibles that are in front of you, the Pew Bibles, you'll find Mark chapter 12 on page 842. And so you want to open to that. Um, If you are a guest with us or if you're not a regular here with us, uh, we want to welcome you. And we've been in a series that we call Awakening Pure Worship. And actually, a lot of the messages, well, all of the messages are coming out of um, a book by the man by the name of Jeff Dio. And uh, there are copies of the book still available on the Welcome Center. Um, It actually comes out of the Bible that he uses to make his book. And so um, don't be confused by that. I know that there, there's this idea that I've heard in the course of my life where people say, well, you know, I, I read the Bible, but I don't read um, man. I don't read books because those are men and the Bible is God. Do you, do you know who actually put the words on paper? Man. And do you know that through the course of history, we have taken these words and we have developed countless denominations and made decisions. And so we're all learning and growing. And so, again, I'm not placing any book that an author writes above this book. This is a revelation from eyewitnesses of who God is. But to to say that we don't have to read what God is saying through other people, especially when they use this is the foundation. Because some of us have read through this book 20 times, but our lives don't look any more like Jesus than they did when we started. Or they look very little like Jesus. And sometimes reading a book by another author helps us to see Scripture in a light that we didn't see it before. That's kind of why you come here, because I can hopefully make the Scripture come alive in a way maybe you didn't see it before so you can apply it to your life. And so um, I, I, I know what people are saying when they, when they make that statement, but uh, don't, don't just buy into something because you've heard somebody say it. Your favorite preacher said it, and now you're all in on it. Um, be like the, the, uh, the people in the Scripture that went in and were they the Bereans who studied the Scripture to make sure it was true? Is that who it was? Okay. So this is my... Guy that I ask all the questions to make sure I'm accurate over here. And so uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to refer to you often through the service today. Um, but it, this idea of awakening pure worship, uh, we want to become awakened worshipers. And so we've talked about what worship is. Um, worship is not just the song service, the song portion. It's not just what we do in this room. That's a part of it. It's a powerful part of it that we need to understand. But worship is really every part of our lives. It's everything that we do. We talked about why we worship, how worship transforms us. Worship is a weapon. We talked about worship is actually imprinted on our DNA. We were made to worship, and we will all worship because it's who God's created us to be. The question is whether or not we'll worship God or we'll worship something else. And so we we talked through why we worship. We talked through who we worship. Last week, we talked about this awesome yet relational, inexhaustible God who reveals himself as Father, Son, and Spirit. He's not three gods. He's one God. And if you serve him all the days of your life and you experience him, you never actually get to the end of him. In fact, through all of eternity, you will never reach the end of knowing all there is to know of him. Because even in your glorified state, you're still a created being. And the created being can never fully know the creator. And so all of eternity, you're going to be getting to know who he is. Do you understand how great he is? 
to be able to have some, some more knowledge of who he is revealed to us every day of our lives all through eternity. Last week, we also talked about idolatry and the subtle, deceptive nature of idolatry and how easy it is for us to create a God in our image, a God that we worship and we call him God, but he's really not the way he's revealed himself and how easy it is to slip into that. So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk now about how we worship, how we worship. And today I've titled this message, Total Worship. You know, like total abs or like total workout or total, you know, total means, you know, it's like total. Um, and so total worship is kind of what we're going to talk about. And I know for you type A people in the room, you're like, uh, Pastor Tom, we've skipped a few questions. I mean, we talked about what, we talked about why, we talked about who, now we're going to talk about how, but do you know, what about where? Okay, so I'm going to answer it real quick for you, everyone. Where do we worship? Everywhere. Everywhere. There you go. See, you already know the answer to that. Okay, and I know we skipped when. When do we worship? All the time, always. See, we don't come here to worship. We come here already worshiping because we never stop. I mean, I don't worship when I feel like it. I worship always because it's who I've been created to be, and he's always worthy of it. He's worthy of it when I don't feel worthy to worship. He's worthy of it. And so we worship always. Now, as we get into this idea of how we worship, I know a lot of times we think that how we worship is really just a matter of preference, that maybe the Bible really doesn't talk to how to worship, and we all worship God in our own way. And in a sense, I get where people are coming from with that, but I do believe Scripture does give us some examples of how we worship God. As we get into how we worship, I want you to keep two things in mind, and I'm going to tell you up front while everyone's still awake and hopefully paying attention and not talking to your neighbor or looking at your cell phone so that you hear me and you don't misunderstand anything I say today. So the first thing is I am trying to be very careful over these next two weeks not to imply that our spirituality rests on our outward expression of worship. Okay? I am not trying to imply that if you lift your hands, you're more spiritual than people who don't lift their hands. Or if you don't do something that you're less spiritual, I'm, I'm not trying to imply that. So if anything I say seems to imply that, come back to this statement, I'm not implying that. So I must mean something else. And that may mean we have to have coffee to figure that out. The second thing, worship is not limited to singing in a worship service. I may lean heavy on that over the next couple of weeks, but it is not limited to that. It's just easier to make that the application of it here, but this applies to every part of worship, which is every part of our lives. So in the, the book, Jeff talks about this principle called the both and principle, both and. And there he gives some examples in the book. I'm not going to cover all of them, but one that he, he talks about is in John chapter four, where Jesus says, if you're going to worship him, you have to worship him in spirit and truth. So it's, that, it's not like I just worship in spirit or I just worship in truth. It's I worship in spirit and truth. And some want to just worship God by way of knowledge and by way of information. I want to worship God as he is. I want to worship in truth, which is good. Some want to put too much emphasis or just this weighty emphasis on the experiential. I want to just worship him in spirit. And the thing is, both of these approaches, spirit and truth, are actually biblical teachings. 
Okay? They come from the Bible. And the reality is that each of them by themselves is fruitless. Because if you just have spirit in your worship, then all you have is empty emotion. That's all you got. If you just have truth, all you have is empty religion. And so apart from each other, there's, they're lifeless. But when you put them together, when you intermingle spirit and in truth, they are abundantly life-giving. And so total worship requires us to worship in spirit and in truth. Now, in Mark chapter 12, if you're there, Mark chapter 12, verse 28, one of the teachers of the religious law, as they're all standing around questioning Jesus, he's listening to this debate, and he realizes that Jesus has answered well to everyone's question so far. So he asks, now, here's the thing. We don't know if this guy is trying to trap Jesus, or we don't know if because Jesus is answering well, if he's really got a question, and he's like, Jesus, okay, I want to know this. And so, not sure what he's doing here, but he asks the question, of all the commandments, which is the most important? I mean, because if we can narrow it down to that one thing I need to do, then I, I, I want to please God. Because again, remember, the Pharisees were not bad guys. They were people that really wanted to please God. Now, they got into error because they were trying to, to please God by works and by their own strength. And remember, the law was given not so that we could make our way to God. The law was given to show us we can never make our way to God that way. And Jesus came as the fulfillment of the law so that you and I could have access to God. And so here's his question. What's the most important commandment? Jesus begins to quote from Deuteronomy, from the law that they would be very familiar with. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. He's the one and only God. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. So in essence, Jesus is, is teaching us right here the most effective way to love God or the most effective way to worship God is total worship. Now, some of you are like, well, but Pastor Tom, you're stretching because that says love and you're talking about worship. And can I tell you, if you look through the Bible, I think love Loving God and worshiping God are interchangeable in the scripture because they're both expressions of love. And so I don't think Jesus is just saying it's just love. Our worship is love. And so I don't think it's a stretch to say that we should also worship God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Because everything that we do is worship and everything we do is birthed out of love. And so with this in mind, I want to look at that Greek word all. This is very important. Write down this definition. The Greek word for all means all. <laughs> yeah, see, this is just great. I am full of wisdom. You are so blessed to be here today. And I say that because a lot of us have this idea that, that worshiping God is much like Burger King theology. You can have it your way. You know, you, you walk in and you order your Whopper without onions or you order it with cheese or no cheese. And I, I like, and a lot of us say, well, God, I, I'll worship you, but I'd, I'd like you to hold the heart and soul part. I mean, I'm, I am totally a mind and strength guy, so I'll worship you that way. But heart and soul, that's really not who I am. And we, we mistakenly think that that's what we do. Or we say things like, well, you know, Pastor Tom, I'm not really the hand-raising type. So I really just prefer to worship God from the heart. Well, and that's great. Worshiping God from the heart is absolutely great, and you are a quarter of the way there now. 
You are. You're, you're, you're partway there. You worship him with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. It's not just pick and choose. And so there's four things I want to give you about total worship. First, total worship is learned. It's not our personality. It's not our personality. Total worship is learned. Again, not claiming People are less spiritual if they're reserved, and worship is not limited to just singing. So the question then becomes, are we engaging our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, all of our strength in every part of our lives, worshipfully, every single day? Now here's the thing. I don't think any one of us will ever get to the place where we actually do engage all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength, all the time. But we strive for it. And so every day, more and more of my heart, my soul, my mind, my strength, I focus on worshiping him with everything. And I believe that if I fail to break outside of my preference, if I just say, well, God, I'm going to worship you with my mind, but I'm not going to worship you with my heart today, or I'm going to worship you with my heart, but, you know, I'm not going to worship you with my mind today or my strength today, that we actually fail to know him as best we can know him. And we actually sort circuit God's plan in our lives. We need to learn how to worship him in ways that aren't our preference. Sometimes we resist this idea of total worship because of ignorance. We just don't know the Bible speaks to it or we don't understand it. But sometimes we resist the idea of total worship because of pride. We're more concerned what people think of us than what God is saying to us. I mean, I just told you today I wrestled with it. I don't want to go retake communion because I don't, I'm worried what people will think. We wrestle with it all the time. Or sometimes it's just flat-out rebellion. We know God is saying something in his word. We're just not going to give in. That, of all the things, is a dangerous place to live, and so I'd encourage you not to live there. But I think that in Scripture, we see this call to total worship, but some of us resist it for some of these reasons. There are strong commands, there's strong exhortations in the scripture for us to be still and know that he is God. See, some of you thought by total worship, I meant loud, clamorous, hand-raising, dancing, shouting. And some of you are really good at that. You're not really good at sitting quietly and meditating on the Lord. It's also part of worship. So total worship means that just as much as it means the loud clamors because both are exhorted to us in the scripture because our worship is not supposed to be an emotional response to what we're feeling. It's supposed to be a call, a response to who God is and he never changes. So I could worship him the same every single day no matter how I feel because it's who he is. And because he's unchanging and because he's so awesome, it requires of me nothing less than all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. I don't know how any of us can come to the foot of the cross and realize what he did for us and not be totally overwhelmed in that moment to want to give him everything. Maybe we don't fully understand what it is he's done for us or the fact that we don't measure up. Maybe you think you measure up pretty good, better than some of the people out in the world. Maybe you think, like the Pharisees, that you've done pretty good at working your way to God. And maybe you need to come to an understanding of who you really were apart from him and what he really did for you to unlock awakened worship in your 
heart. Now, I know the Psalms contain a lot about worship, but I don't want to look at the Psalms because I want to look at some New Testament passages because some people say, well, the New Testament really doesn't tell us how to worship. And, and you're right, there's no black and white call in the New Testament for some of these things. But 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8 says this, in every place of worship, I want men to pray with holy hands lifted up to God, free from anger and controversy. What in the world does that have to do with it? And when's the last time we all lifted up our hands in prayer? Why doesn't Paul tell us? Why Are we supposed to do this? Is this really true? Is this just like maybe it was just a custom of the day? And in our custom, you know, South Dakota, we're pretty reserved. So we don't lift holy hands in prayer. We just engage our hearts. Or maybe there's stuff in the New Testament that if we really seek God, he'll begin to show us and show us that there are things in our lives that just because we don't prefer them doesn't mean we shouldn't do them. Or what about in James chapter 5? James says, As, are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Good. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. He doesn't say you should sing praises on Sunday. He doesn't say you should sing praises when you gather together. He says if you're happy, sing praises. And you're like, well, I'm not really happy. Okay, well then let's go to Acts chapter 16. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God in prison. I doubt they were happy. They just were beaten. They're in prison. They could be executed. And somehow you find them praying and singing. And the other prisoners are listening and suddenly there's a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundation and all the doors immediately flew off and the chains of every prisoner fell off. And I, I, I don't understand why we have compartmentalized worship to happen in this building. What if you went into work tomorrow beginning to sing instead of, you know, I'm so tired of the winter. I'm so tired of this dead-end job. I'm so tired of my boss. I'm so tired of this. What if you just went in changing the atmosphere of your workplace by declaring who God was? And if you can't carry a tune in a bucket, it doesn't matter. Just make music in your heart. Oh, that was way better than you thought it was. Because we have got to learn to live as awakened worshipers. And some of us won't even worship in this room. We let the weight of the world hang on us. Well, we didn't measure up today. Well, we didn't measure up this week. So I don't really feel worthy to worship. Or I need a few songs to get me in the mood. When the music starts, before the music starts, we ought to be like, Jesus, thank you for what you've done. Because we're awakened in our worship. Did you ever wonder how Peter's shadow started healing people? Or how a deacon named Stephen finally started laying his hands on the sick and when just the apostles were doing miracles, where'd Stephen get off? Because total worship should start touching every area of our lives. We should be declaring the praises of God everywhere that we go. I don't know if you, you know, the, last year when Alabama won the national championship, their, their quarterback, Tua, Okay, last year he, was, he, wasn't, he didn't play in the first half and they were losing and then they put him in in the second half and he led them to this championship and everyone's, they're interviewing him. How did you stay so calm? How did you have all this poise? And he said, God gives me peace, I pray. When I'm anxious on the field, I pray. And he said, I pray in tongues. <laughs> Why? Why'd you do that? God doesn't care about football. If football is your job, God cares. If and he's given you a platform, it's more than to win Super Bowls or national championships. It's about affecting everyone around you for eternity. 
Look at what the Apostle Paul says. I already read these to you, but look at it again. Let the message about Christ and all of its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms, sing hymns, and sing spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. That spiritual songs literally means sing songs that come from the Spirit. They have their origin in the Spirit. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, I pray in my understanding and I also pray in the Spirit. I sing in my understanding, but I also sing in my my spirit just in the worship service or all the time all the time awakening pure worship see some of us are only going to worship God in a black and white transactional way if I don't see it in here in black and white I'm not going to do it and here's the thing you may serve God all of your life and you may make it to heaven, but my goal is not to make it to heaven. My goal is to know him more intimately than I already know him. It's, it's my goal that when I visit with people, they taste more of heaven than they do of Tom. And the only way to do that is to become an awakened worshiper and yield more of my heart, mind, soul, and strength to him. And so if you're just going to look for the black and white, you're going to find some stuff. But if you're going to search the scripture and you're going to find, I believe it talks to us about how to worship with our heart, mind, soul, and strength. If you're taking notes and you're one of those definition people and you got to write these down, I'll put them up so you can write them down. Because what Jesus in essence is saying is that with our inner self, with our source of being, with our thoughts, with our intelligence, with our understanding, with our emotions, with our will, with our feelings, with our might, with our capability, with our physical bodies, with everything, we worship him. And so think for a moment, does that describe your week this week? Every day, did you be like, well, you know, God, I'm going to worship you today with every part of my being. Let me ask you this. Maybe the week is too big. Does this describe the last hour of your life? From the moment you walked in this room, did he have all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, all of your strength? Or, squirrel, is that a baby crying? Is it someone's baby crying? I mean, we're singing God of wonders beyond our galaxy. You are whole. Is someone's baby crying? Holy, oh, who's, who's coming in back there? Oh, wait, my phone just vibrated. Woo! Can I say addiction? Some of you are looking at your phones right now and you ought to put them down because you can't go 10 minutes without looking at it. And yet you expect God to flow in your life mightily. All of my heart, all of my mind, all of my soul, all of my strength. Here, this is Jeff. Truth be told, to love God with one or two of these approaches alone is tantamount to not loving God at all. Don't be deceived. It may seem pleasant enough to come to God with all of our mind, but this merely compartmentalizes our love and leaves us grossly missing the mark. Loving God with all of our heart is just not the same as loving him with our whole person, heart, soul, mind, and strength. They're all connected, and they're all required for awakened worship. Now, again, don't get me wrong. God is gracious and he's merciful. This is not a claim that if you don't do this, you don't love God like this person. That's not what he's saying. What he's trying to do is awaken your heart to there's more than you've already experienced. There's an invitation to come closer. How many of you are familiar with the love languages by Gary Smalley? You know, the, you know, the acts of service and the gifts, words of affirmation, physical touch, quality time. Now, I'm an acts of service guy. That's who I am. 
And so it, it doesn't mean I don't like gifts. It doesn't mean I don't like words of affirmation or physical touch or quality time. I like, I mean, we all receive love in different ways. But if you really want to hit the sweet spot, you got to know what someone's sweet spot is. And for me, it's acts of service. And some, sometimes we want to love people the way we're loved, not the way they need it. You know, some of you, if you would just start loving your spouse the way they need, not the way you think they should receive it, your marriage would just grow just from that alone because you're actually meeting them where they are. And some of us, we want to approach God the same way. I mean, God doesn't have a love language. He does. It's total worship. And instead of I'm going to offer him my preference, I'm going to offer him everything, even beyond my preference because he's pulling us out of where we are for a purpose. Number two, total worship is not just learned, it's supernatural. Now, by supernatural, I mean it's beyond our natural selves, okay? It is not within our nature to pick up our cross and follow Jesus. That's not our nature. It's not within our nature to love our enemies. It's not within our nature to die to ourselves. That's not a nature that we have in the flesh, okay? That does not mean that we do not practice these kingdom concepts. I mean, just because, you know, this doesn't jive with my personality does not mean I have no responsibility to this supernatural lifestyle that I've been called into. In fact, we've been called to become the new creations that we've already been created to be. And I believe the scripture is full of instruction on how to be worshipful. And those worshipful practices are meant to enlarge us or even to transform our lives. See, you say, well, well, Pastor Tom, I'm not naturally a giver. I'm not naturally humble. That doesn't excuse us from giving or from throwing off pride. So in, in this idea of awakening pure worship, I believe when we make excuses that I'm not an expressive person or I don't worship God that way, we actually short-circuit the process God's trying to do in our lives. He's trying to make us fit to be useful wherever we are. If we go back to Jericho, let's go back to Jericho for a minute. And imagine at the back of the, the line there, a guy, and as Joshua's saying, okay, we're going to do this, we're going to march around the city, we're going to do what God says, and, we're gonna, and then on the seventh day, seventh time, not a word, not a peep from anybody. I mean, some of you would be like, I'm a talker. How am I going to get around the city seven times without talking? I, Josh, I can't go because I'm a talker. There's no way. Or imagine that you're the guy that's like, well, I'm not really a shouter, so that whole quiet thing, I can walk around. How about I walk around quiet and then she goes in and shouts? Because that's, I mean, that, no, everybody shouts. Everyone's quiet. Everyone shouts. This, we're together. We're in this thing. There's a corporate aspect to this worship thing. So it doesn't matter what, well, I mean, when the worship leader says, hey, let's all lift our hands right now. Did you feel it in the room? Don't tell me to lift my hands. I'll lift my hands when I want to lift my hands. <laughs> wow. I mean, that's not showing you anything about your personality or what God's trying to chip away at your life. I know this isn't pleasant and some of you are going to hate me for it, but it's just the truth. I mean, some of us are where we are because we refuse to go outside of our preference and worship God any way that we don't want to or like to. 
And because of that, we stay right where we are. Here's the thing. God's commands are not burdensome. They are not meant to harm us. When God comes to you and asks you to step outside of your natural self, you can be sure that he has something good for you. You can be sure that he is doing something deep in you that you need to trust him with. If you are a naturally animated person and God comes to you and says, what if he comes to you in a worship service where everyone is shouting and loud and he's like, and everything within you wants to just join in. Would he ever do that? Yeah, he would. Because he wants to know that if he needs you in a moment when it requires that type of obedience, that you're ready. I mean, some of you, you're not naturally animated. And in a quiet place, he's asking you to shout or do something, and you're like, no, I'd rather not. He doesn't ask us to do these things because he hates us. He does it because he's trying to pull the life out of us, the life that he's put in us. It's supernatural. Third one, total worship is extravagant. That word extravagant means excessive. It means nothing held back. It means displaying the greatness of God. And here's the thing. You and I cannot possibly ever give him what he deserves. Never. But shouldn't it be as extravagant as possible? Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise the glories of my God and King, the triumphs of His grace. You know what the author's saying? I just, I wish I had a thousand tongues right now so that I could declare how awesome He is. I believe as He starts growing in our eyes, as what He's done for us starts growing in our eyes, those of us that say, well, I'm just not an emotional person, may find uh, you become emotional as you just give God everything. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, David, who understands what it is to be without the presence of God, is celebrating the fact that the ark of the Lord, the presence of God, is coming into the city. And his wife, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looks down from her window and she saw the king leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she was filled with contempt for him. When David returned home to bless his own family, he's coming to bless his family and his wife has contempt in her heart. Michael says, comes out to meet him and she says, in disgust, how distinguished the king of Israel looked today, shamelessly exposing himself to the servant girls like any vulgar person might do. David retorted to Michael, I was dancing before the Lord who chose me above your father and all his family. He appointed me as the leader of Israel, the people of the Lord, so I celebrate before the Lord. And yes, I'm willing to look even more foolish than this, even to be humiliated in my own eyes. See, David was a man after God's heart. And his worship was extravagant. He wasn't perfect. He had lots of flaws. He was a crazy, mighty warrior. He killed a bear, killed a lion, Killed Goliath with just a slingshot. He chopped off his head. I don't know about you, but that's, I don't know if I could do that. You know, I guess if, if he was trying to kill me, maybe. But 
I have a hard time connecting with that part of David's personality. Then I'm going to cut the, the, the giant's head off. Uh, it just seems kind of gross a little bit. But David, at the same time, was a worshiper. And we tell us in our culture all the time, you know, men, real men, they're not worshipers. They don't. Really? I think some real men maybe just need to touch the heart of the father that's been missing in their lives. Again, this isn't about shame. It's just an invitation to come closer. And I, I hope you'll read Jeff's story about learning to worship because it would be easy for us to look at Jeff and he's up there and he's dancing and he's clapping and he's bowing down and he's doing all this stuff and think, well, that's just who he is. It's his personality. It isn't. He had to teach himself to do it. He did it in his quiet time. He tells the story of doing it in his house when he was all alone because he felt like an idiot. And he learned to give God every part of his worship, every expression of worship. And as you begin paying to, to attention to Scripture and you just start adding these expressions of worship into your quiet time, all of a sudden you're going to get to the place where you are so enamored with him that we might actually have to come to you at some point and be like, okay, there are times you just have to tone it down. And, and that's okay because I would rather you get too exuberant and have to like say, hey, we, we got to tone it down because we don't want to distract the other people. Instead of trying to start a cold engine on a snowy morning. I mean, you ever do that with the snowblower? It's hard. Total worship is not just extravagant. The last one. Look at this. Total worship is intimate. It's intimate. It's, this is not about lifting our hands or shouting or dancing or bowing down or expressions of worship. This is about coming to know him in the most intimate way possible. And the only way to do that is to expose ourselves. This is going to get kind of weird for a minute, and I apologize, but I don't know any other way to explain this to you. Paul, one of my favorite passages in the entire Bible, Philippians chapter 3, and I love Philippians chapter 3 because Paul was a Pharisee. He was trying to be made right with God by everything he did. He kept the law, and again, he's trying to be right in the sight of God. He's trying hard. He's given his best for this with all zeal. And then he comes to the realization that he can never be made right with God. And it's all through what Christ has done. And so now he says, I consider all of that trash, rubbish, dung, refuse, just to know him. And that's where he comes. I want to know Christ. I want to know him the best I can know him. I want to experience the power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. I want to know him. And that word know is the word, most intimate use of the word know. The Old Testament is translated into Greek. It's called the Septuagint. It's written in Hebrew, translated into Greek. When it translates the passage with Adam and Eve, Adam knew Eve and they had a son. You know what word he's using? That. Because for a husband and a wife to come into a relationship where they know each other, you have to be totally exposed, totally naked. And that takes trust. Because a lot of us, we don't like our bodies. We don't like the way we look. And so to put ourselves in that vulnerable position, but in order to know someone the deepest you can know them, that's what you do. And the reason that God says save that for marriage is because we, we cheapen it in our society today. And it's lost everything because of that. 
And because of that, we're losing what it is to really know him intimately. But Paul says this, I want to know him. And in order to know him in that way, I have to be exposed. I have to be exposed. And sometimes that means I have to do something outside of my preference, outside of my comfort, outside of... Because I have to be exposed. And it's not to make you look stupid. And it's not to harm you. It's so that you can know him in a more intimate way than you've known him before. And as we come into that relationship, I believe the expressions of worship are going to flow in our lives more and more. And so here's what I want us to do over these next few moments. I thought about how do you end a service like this? And uh, I thought the natural thing to do would be to play a fast song. You know, call, just let's get hyped. But it's not about hype. And it's not about the energy. It's about you knowing him. It's about an intimate connection with him. And that's what I want to give us a few moments to do is to connect to him. Some of you maybe need to repent of something. Maybe the Holy Spirit's put his finger on something, an area of pride, an area of rebellion. Maybe you were ignorant when you walked in this room today about something and the Holy Spirit has just thrown light all over it and you're like, wow. And you just need to respond to him. And so... In just a moment, we're going to play a song. We're going to give you an opportunity to worship. We're going to give you an opportunity. And I want to challenge you, step outside of you. You never lifted your hands, lift your hands. You've never bowed before him, bow before him. You, you need to come to these altars. I've taken time this week again to pray over these chairs that everyone who comes to kneel has an encounter with God that transforms your life. It's going to change you from this day forward. Not that you're not going to ever to encounter him again, but today's going to be a day where something in you shifts. And I'm believing God for it. So I want you to, let's stand. And Father, in this moment, we just want to know you. God, we want to come into an intimate connection with you. We trust you, God. We trust you. You have displayed your love, your goodness, your kindness, your mercy, you've displayed it to us. We know that you love us. We know that you can be trusted. We know that if you're stretching us to worship you or to love you in a way that we're really not comfortable with, that you are working out your plans in our lives. And we are not afraid to expose ourselves to you. And so Holy Spirit, over these next few moments, awaken pure worship in our hearts. Speak to every one of us individually in this room. Have your way in each and every one of our lives. I pray in Jesus' name. As we worship, just take a moment and just begin to respond to him. You can sing along with the song. You can just listen to the words. But just allow worship to be awakened in your heart over these next few moments.
Jesus, we put our trust in you. You are our firm foundation. Here's the thing. You don't have to take my word for anything I've said today. You don't have to take Jeff's word for it. I dare you to get into the word and to get into the presence of the Lord this week like never before. Because it's a form of insanity to continue to do what we've always done and expect different results. If you seek him with your whole heart, you will find him. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And so Holy Spirit, I pray, awaken pure worship in our hearts. We acknowledge right now that the only way any of us can love you with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength is with your help. God, we can't resolve to do it in our own strength. Holy Spirit, we ask you for the grace we need to love you with more of our heart than we ever have before, to love you with more of our mind than we ever have before, to stop making excuses about why our mind is wandering and to trust that you are going to help us get our mind stayed upon you. God, to love you with more of our strength than we ever have before. God, to love you with more of our soul, our emotions, our will than we ever have before. So Holy Spirit, for abundant grace today. God, I pray your blessing over each one that's here. May they know the abiding presence of your spirit. May they know the fullness of the grace of Jesus Christ. And may they know and experience the love of the Father. Though it is so great, they'll never fully understand it. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Our prayer team is still here in the front. If there's a prayer need that you want prayer for before you leave, we make ourselves available to that. But if you're ready to go, um, just dismiss yourselves quietly so that those that maybe want to pray a little bit longer can do that before they go. God bless you as you go today.